Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadj Assad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. If this is the first time you're listening to our podcast, thank you for trying something new. Just a reminder, Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists, and you can find our work all over the internet. In fact, Ben, why don't you uh, spill the deets on how some people can read your most recent work? Spill the deets. Okay, well, you can find my writing at Motor Trend, at Driving Line, and at Inside Hook. And I also want to mention that I sometimes write about things that are not cars, and I have a piece about the comic book industry coming up on Business Insider. So you can find me there, too, probably in the next week or so. Very cool. Uh, do people still say spill the deets? Are I've deets never deets heard anyone like, say it until now. So I, I love the idea that deets are this like uh, are like a liquid that you can just spill everywhere. Deets right? are the kind of thing that someone who also says digits would say. You know, like give me your digits. That's the deets guy. So okay, that's so how I equate them. Let me provide some digits for our listeners to find my work because wow. they can find it at, at autotrader.ca as well as TechSpot and EV Pulse and Nouveau Magazine. None of those are digits. Those were all alphas. Alphas. Just okay, saying. fine. We're working on it. Uh, ben, I want to talk about some cars this week. What do you say? Sounds good. I mean, can you give me the deets or digits on the cars you want to discuss? Yeah, I'll, I'll start off. Uh, our conversation with a new Mitsubishi. And Ben, you can you can wait a minute. Your... Yeah. There are no new Mitsubishi, Sammy. Oh. I thought that they were a wholly owned subsidiary of Nissan Corporation. Well, this is a new Mitsubishi Outlander, which, as you mentioned, is very closely related to a Nissan product. When you say closely related, does that mean carbon copy? Or <laughs> does that mean, like, it's the same platform? Or do they share drivetrains? Like, is it on the scale of being closely related, is it like Subaru BRZ? Uh, Toyota GR86, which is the new name, or is it Toyota Supra and BMW um, Z4? Okay, it's somewhere between the two. I think it leans closer to the Subaru-Toyota mashup than, which is, as you mentioned, a very carbon copy-esque. So let me, you know what, we should, are are we going to throw back and discuss that um, Mitsubishi was doing some evil stuff with their fuel economy numbers and then Nissan was involved? In fact, it turned out that Nissan outed them and then absorbed the company. I have no memory of any of that. <laughs> you don't remember? About- so a bunch of K-cars were, under- were underreporting their fuel economy, um, and Mitsubishi made some K-cars for um, Nissan, and okay. then Nissan found out that these, th- these cars had lower fuel economy than they were supposed to, or worse fuel economy than they were supposed to, and then uh, Mitsubishi was really embarrassed. They had to pay a bunch of fines, and then Nissan bought them. I feel essentially. like this is the kind of thing, though, <laughs> that like if you if you look at the on the ladder of sketchy things Japanese car companies were doing at the time, like this is Nissan had that whole thing with Carlos Ghosn, right? Like, yeah, yeah. This was before that. This was before that. So it almost feels like they bought Mitsubishi to distract us from what was going to happen <laughs> with Ghosn. Well, like, it's what like I when, think. It, what I think is even funnier, though, is like after the Carlos Ghosn thing happened, the current like uh, CEO of the Renault Mitsubishi Nissan Alliance, what is the new Mitsubishi guy? Is the Mitsubishi CEO? Well, I mean, you got to go. You got to keep that kind of willing to break the rules attitude in your corporate culture somehow. <laughs> so 
Anyways, what is important to talk about is that for some reason, Mitsubishi has been gaining momentum recently um, as a result of the, <laughs> you're going to laugh at this, the Mitsubishi Outlander PHEV finally arriving to North America. Um, apparently, people were really looking forward to buying a plug-in hybrid uh, crossover. That was designed that- in 2010. <laughs> It's the end of that sentence. I think 12 or 13. But the the goal was that the price was so low and the incentives were so high that people could just get into this thing uh, for less than the cost of a usual crossover. Yeah, so like I want to say that the Outlander PHEV, which we have maligned many times on this show, I want to say that this was the Dodge Grand Caravan of PHEVs. Because remember when, even even after they came out with the Pacifica, for a long time, the Caravan was still available from Dodge. And they hadn't changed it in forever. But they sold so many of them because I think you could get one for $19,000. And for that money... It's a perfect vehicle for hauling kids around. Even if you're if you're in the construction trade, you can put a lot of stuff in that in that van. So mm-hmm. it makes a lot of sense at a certain price point. It doesn't make any sense if you have to pay more than that. And I think the Outlander was trying to aim for that same wedge of the market. So then that that happened, okay? And um, th- that's pretty good for Mitsubishi. But now other automakers are providing plug-in hybrid um, crossovers. You, I think Ford and Toyota. <laughs> who have some of the most popular crossovers in the world with the RAV4 and the Escape are offering this. So I don't know if the Mitsubishi Outlander PHEV is going to be like a big deal anymore. But um, we are now getting into the 2022 model year Outlander, which is all new. And they're also going to sell the 2021 Outlander PHEV, not new, alongside the, uh, the new Outlander. So it's so like Outlander point- Classic. It is like Outlander Classic. Which has always really been Outlander Classic, right? Thing, right? Like is is well, first of all, the Outlander PHEV already was a classic. In that's a way, what I right? that's what that's the joke I just made. <laughs> so anyways, let's get back to this Outlander. It is uh very closely related related to the Nissan Rogue, which is to say it has the same platform, it has the same powertrain, it has a very uh similar interior. I think the biggest change you can see you can see is the vent design and dashboard design, and the steering wheel is different. Um and it has a third row of seating. But that's that's good, right? Because you really like the new Nissan Rogue, and I think it's pretty good too. Yeah, I actually think that the new Rogue is is among the best in the segment right now. So if you were going to go from perhaps the worst SUV in its class to something completely different, making it a version of the Rogue is a very smart move. It's extremely smart. Um, so we've got that going for for Mitsubishi. And I, I mean, I, I should discuss, again, there is one other element about this vehicle. Um, the styling is obviously different. And they've added 20-inch wheels to the top trim level. Which... How, ob- how obviously different? The design? The front yeah. end looks totally different, I think. It has uh, a bunch of headlights. Like It seems like it has three headlights on each side of the car. So it's not like just a rogue wearing a Mitsubishi mask. No, no, no. It it goes a little bit beyond that. And the, the, my only problem is the rear end looks a little like uh, under-design. They keep telling me that it has Pajero-inspired design Wait, in the rear end. Wait, is it Pajero or Pajero? Because I've always said Pajero. I've said Pajero, so now what? I don't know. I mean... We can't split the difference on that. Audience vote. Is it Pajero or Pajero? Let Which us know. Because a... we don't know, obviously. One of us obviously. doesn't know. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe it's a whole different other pronunciation that we've never known. Like Pajero? <laughs> Pajero. <laughs> that seems unlikely. Don't vote for that one. That seems like something we'd order in, a, in the local Greek place. The local Greek place. You know what I'm saying. Um, yeah, the, the... As you know, this... 
this like the Pajero. I'm calling it the Pajero. Okay. It's a like rugged SUV. It had this trunk mounted spare. There that's, is no trunk that's, mount- that's what's rugged to you. Is no, that- no. It, this is just I could always you could always point out that that was a Pajero. I mean, I the Rav Four had a trunk mounted spare, as did like every other SUV in the '90s, right? I think the only I mean, ones that should- didn't were like the Ford Explorer. <laughs> And the Grand, the Grand Cherokee. I think even the Bronco in that era had a trunk-mounted spare. Okay, but if anyway. you want to say that the Mitsubishi, the rear end of the Outlander, reminds you of the rear end of the Pajero, there should be a rear-mounted spare there, right? Sure, or like a big badge that says Pajero? Question <laughs> mark. Yeah. So this doesn't have that. Um, the interior of the Outlander, though, is really uh, an upgrade over the last one. Honestly, anything could be an upgrade over the last one's interior. But they went to well, they went to distance, honestly, or at least Nissan did, and provided that to Mitsubishi. And you've got quilted leather seats, um, really nice thick steering wheel that feels really you know sturdy in your hands. How thick you've a got- steering wheel do you want? You don't have don't to give know. me inches. Have... You don't have to embarrass us. But you what can... do I like? Uh, it's got to be thicker than a banana, I think. Oh wow! Okay, uh, like a plantain then? Is that what yeah, mean? totally plantain. Plantain width. So, because I ask, because in my Jeep, uh, the steering wheel, which is from the '60s, is really thin, and yeah. you don't really notice it too much because, like, the steering is super light in that vehicle. But it does make me think, like, when I get in uh, a modern truck, it's always like. Maybe the steering wheel is going to break my wrist if I hit a bump, you know, like because I have to really hold on to it. So, yeah. So, yeah, this has one of those kinds of steering wheels. Perfect. Uh, That's what I want. I want the danger, Sammy. Basically, sell me the danger, Mitsubishi. Well, I mean, Mitsubishi (laughs) somehow (laughs) still uses its rally heritage today, even though it makes no sporting rallying car. Uh, they still boast this rally heritage that happened. Uh, I, I don't think kids today would know, really, right? Well, Piero, Piero, Piero is still <laughs> competing in rally, I think. Just because they stopped with the evolution, I think they still do things like the car rally with the Piero. Piero. Right. I can't say it anymore. Sell me the danger, Mitsubishi. Put that <laughs> yeah. on the back bumper. Sell you the danger, question mark? <laughs> <laughs> um, so... The, the vehicle is also loaded with uh, technology. As you remember from the Rogue, we've got a digital dashboard. We've got a head-up display. We've got a big old touchscreen in the middle. Um, we've got wireless phone charging. We've got Android Auto, Apple CarPlay. We've got a version of Nissan's ProPilot Assist in this. It's called uh, – oh, it's got a really it's – it's got an awful name. My Assist, I think? That's weird. Yeah. My Assist sounds like you know when you're watching TV late at night – and my like pilot. You start, Sorry, it's called My Pilot Assist. My yeah. Pilot so it's exactly the same. Instead of Pro Pilot Assist, My Pilot Assist. It's it's like those those commercials when you're watching TV late at night for like the elderly who live alone and um you know they fall and they can't get up and they need to like be able to contact emergency medical care. Yeah. It's always called like My Assist or something. That's that's oh. my I immediately think of that like generic medical branding. Well, I, I like the idea that Nissan's one is called Pro Pilot Assist, and for the Mitsubishi, it's not yet a pro. They should really call it Am, like Am Pilot Assist or Amateur Pilot Assist. They drop the pro there. Or Pro-Am. Um, pro like, am. sometimes, like, it teams up sometimes with the pro, a.k.a. the EMTs who arrive at the scene. <laughs> yes. So, um, overall, like, the car rides very well. Uh, I think the 20-inch wheels, I was surprised. They don't impact the ride quality all too much, although I am concerned that um, replacing tires... 20-inch wheels is expensive. 20-inch 20 20 inch tires are very expensive. Getting winter tires 
that suit a 20-inch uh, wheel is also kind of expensive. So you'd probably see people, like, sizing down for that. Um, and then price-wise, this car isn't that much more expensive than a Rogue. In fact, I think the the most expensive Outlander SEL is the same price as the Rogue, which makes it seem like Mitsubishi could have done something a little bit. Like, they've got a competitive product now. They could have made the, the pricing more competitive because I think reputation-wise, Mitsubishi doesn't have the most sterling reputation or, or brand recognition. But that's why they give you that crazy right? warranty, right? Yeah, so that's the other thing. It has like a tw- 10-year powertrain warranty or something. So I think maybe they're relying on that. Like I think it's, they might have identified the people who are going to buy this vehicle are the ones who want to keep their car 10 years, which is honestly a lot of us. I'm personally one of those people. Mm-hmm. But also like they, they want it to be reliable for that whole period. So they kind of have this niche, I guess, of they don't – like if you're a Mitsubishi owner, a current Mitsubishi owner – Perhaps you don't really care about excitement or being top of class or whatever. You just want something that's reliable, affordable, and you can count on being able to go to the dealership and get things taken care of. But, like, they have a car that is that is top of class. Which, wait, wait, what, what is top of class? The This Outlander is quite top of class. But you're saying it's better than a Rogue? It doesn't have... I mean, the Rogue has nothing that the Outlander doesn't have. But which one would you buy? I don't know. Well, okay. So, so much for uh, top of class. The, I mean, like. I would say the Outlander. Look, the the problem with the problems with the Outlander are the following: that third row seating is completely useless. But that's uh, true of every vehicle in this class. I don't think we can fault with them on three. That. There aren't any more. I think this is the only one. That's the only small three row. You can't get a three row Rev Four. No. Okay. Um, the engine is the same one as the Rogue, 181 horsepower. It could be better. And there's also the fact that the old uh, Outlander was one of the few vehicles in the class that offered a V6 and could tow a bit, too. And now we don't have that option or feature anymore. But the other thing, there's one other difference that you didn't mention. I'm a little surprised. Doesn't the Outlander have its own acronym-heavy all-wheel drive system? Oh, yeah. How did I forget about this? So they 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 say they ditched the Rogue system. What is the Rogue system doesn't have a name, so no, it's, it's because unnamed, unnamed all-wheel drive system. Yeah, but which is our you preference. You're somewhere you know you are you have made it in the automotive industry when your um uh, your all-wheel drive system has a brand name that people can recognize. I think that that's only true though because there was a period of time in automotive development where every all-wheel drive system had a name, and that's where the Mitsubishi one dates back to that. Right, like we had Volkswagen Synchro, we had Quattro from Audi, we had right. uh, what the Nissan one was it called Atiza? Like A T T E S A, and so the the Mitsubishi one was called what Sammy? Oh, and there's also Acura's SH all wheel drive, which was really on the tail end of that trend. But <laughs> uh, this is super all wheel control or S A W C or sock, I suppose. Yeah, that's definitely like a '90s acronym where you just add the word "super" to what your thing does, <laughs> I, like Super a... Nintendo. <laughs> <laughs> It's very super soaker. Like, these are the simplest branding exercises. <laughs> what? Oh, that's so good. But nobody called it a super turbo. Super turbo? I'm sure someone in Japan, I'm sure you could buy a super turbo something. That does not seem like a marketing niche that one of the key car companies, or K car companies, sorry, would have would have uh, left unfilled. So, like, you're saying that super was the 90s version of plus these days. Yeah, I guess so. Like, and it, it came before 
the 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 function now plus comes after distronic plus not plus distronic but if it had been in the 90s it would have been super distronic (laughs) (laughs) which would have been honestly pretty cool it would be great totally great uh and then i mean people are still branding all-wheel anyways all-wheel this car has a super all-wheel control which is uh an all-wheel drive function which allows some brake based torque vectoring uh, some but not all i suppose all all brakes Torque vector? Okay. Well, I don't know because, you know, sometimes it's like just limited to one wheel, like front wheels. No, they do both the front and the rear. Okay. So, so it doesn't you, just you, pivot the car then? No. So basically based on, on how you need the car to kind of rotate or deliver power to the, to the wheels that have traction, it will apply brakes to the opposite wheel, sending power to the one that needs it. I remember the, the Ford Fiesta ST or the Focus ST. Uh, that was one yeah. of the first cars I drove that had like a semi-passive brake um, – brake vectoring system i guess you could call it and it only did the front wheels i believe um how did it did it have the front i thought it did the rear wheels or something like that no, and I then it ended so. up like that toasting its brakes because it's a performance car and that well, didn't work out so well any type of brake based torque vectoring system is terrible in a high performance track environment because <laughs> on the street you're never going fast enough to cook your brakes like unless you're an 18 wheeler going down a very steep grade it's very very hard to mess up your brakes although i will say this one time i was at an event for acura and i want to say it's when the tlx first happened and <laughs> uh we were at this big horse farm in virginia and there was I was doing When you say big horse farm, you mean the horses were massive? Like they were like the size well, of a house? Compared to humans, horses are massive. So I don't know how to answer that. But moving on to the point of my, my conversation, uh there was I was doing I zero think listeners want to know about the size of these horses. Look, if people want to know how big a horse is, either Wikipedia or just take a trip to the country. Those are my two ba- this is not the unnamed horse podcast. I'm sorry, but we were sued when we tried to create that. Okay, Those yeah. Four horses have great lawyers, and we will not talk about that period of time. Uh but the reason I'm mentioning this is – this is a very long way to go for this at this point. But I was doing zero to 60 tests in the TLX for, for mm. video. And it's very easy. You just accelerate to 60 and then you brake back down. You turn around and you do it again. After the second test, the brakes on the TLX were visibly smoking. And I had to stop because I was worried there would be a conflagration. But um, on a racetrack, it's a totally different story. You're doing repetitive braking over and over. You often don't – don't have enough time to cool the brakes. Like you're not necessarily going from front straight to back straight. There's like lots of stuff in between where you'll be using the brakes so they can easily overheat them when you're, when you're cornering plus braking at the same time. So I've never been a fan of those systems for that reason. Uh, It's Mm -hmm. one of the reasons why you should disable traction control when you're on a racetrack as well, because a lot of those systems use brakes and it's, or at least back it off to a competitive setting. If if your car has that, I don't say I'm not advocating turning it off completely, especially if you're just getting started, but it can very easily cook your brakes. So that's something to keep in mind. Uh, Another way to avoid that on a track, if you want to keep stability control on, just go to a more aggressive brake pad that will resist the heat better. That's always a good idea. Um, I actually want to talk to you a little bit about this because um, as you know, my car, um, the FRS, it, it's okay. It's, it is a lot of fun on the track. I do enjoy it. And one of the things that I, you know, it doesn't use a brake-based torque vectoring system. It uses a torsion uh, limited slip differential to help, you know, divert power as needed in those rear wheels. And I, to me, I prefer, I would prefer that um, in any performance or, or sporting conditions, right? Well, that's also a very different type <clears throat> of, of dynamic when you're out right. driving quickly because you're, a, a limited slip differential, like a non-electronically controlled one, 
it's not going to distribute torque in a way that favors cornering. It's designed to improve traction, right? Right. So a lot of times people think about this kind of thing and it's like, oh, so when I hit the gas from a stop – uh, or, or from a, from a stop. Sorry, I, I just repeated myself. Uh, instead of spinning one I wheel, you apologized for it though. <laughs> instead of spinning one wheel, I'll spin both wheels. Right, that's the right. best. Like it's it's getting most power to the ground at, at the time as it can, uh, traction permitting. But on a racetrack, when you go around a corner, it's very easy to spin the inside wheel mm-hmm. or the outside wheel, depending on how the suspension is loaded, and mm-hmm. that. It, it eats seconds off of your lap time if you keep doing it on every corner. So a, a limited slip differential in that circumstance is very helpful to keep power down even when you're not accelerating in a straight line just by being able to proportion it to where the vehicle has the most grip or to keep both wheels spinning so that one isn't spinning faster than the other, ideally. Um, mm-hmm. a, a torque-based system isn't going to do that necessarily. It's going to try to cut power to one side to exactly. pivot the car. So it's yeah. like a different feeling. And it... It's, it, it Sorry. Is it not like is it not like you know if you're boating you're dumping one paddle on one side to kind of yeah it's a little bit like that it's a little bit like that and if you're putting the paddle on asphalt then you can easily see how that would overheat things <laughs> yes of course um, so this is one of the things that the Outlander uh, boasts over the Rogue this uh, super all wheel control a brake based um, vectoring system torque vectoring system. And I haven't, I mean, unfortunately, I didn't get the chance to go off-roading with it or play around with it in the snow. And um, I have to take Mitsubishi for their word right now, which I don't always love doing. Well, but I, I mean, no one's, no one's going to go off-road with it. <laughs> no, honestly, it's not what it's for. I mean, I'm not, I'm not condemning it. I'm just saying, you're buying an Outlander, it's not because you want to hit the trail. You want that 10-year warranty. You that's want that 10-year you, warranty. That's what you're saying. That's right. Um, I think that you're buying it because you want a rogue with a, th- with a third row for some reason. Wow. Um, and that, and that, um, that uh, warranty. I agree that warranty is probably the biggest aspect of the, of the Outlander's um, appeal. Which is a weird way because I can't – you and I can't judge the warranty at this point, right? Like we don't know when that war- – if that warranty is worth it, if it means anything, um, are you really paying for it? If the car has no problems in 10 years, even if you didn't – like have to use the warranty that means that the car was good right but that's a warranty is something you buy and never hope to use right like exactly so that's the best warranty the best warranty is the one you've never used (laughs) period i would pay no but think about it if someone came up to me and said i'm gonna sell you a warranty you'll never have to use i would buy it in a heartbeat i'd be like here's two thousand dollars that guarantees i'll never be at a dealership for like the next five six ten years i would gladly pay that money yeah, it's a good – when you put it that way, it's a great deal. I mean think about how much money – again, a 10-year powertrain powertrain warranty, 10 years. Um, and this car is not much more – it's it's not uh, – it's, sorry, it's the same price as a Rogue, which has a five-year warranty, I believe. Well, you know, it's Mitsubishi is probably counting on climate change destabilizing society and them not having to pay out any of those eighth and ninth-year warranty claims. So, <laughs> Of course. Um, so anything, anything you want me to, to dial in on in this Outlander, or do you think we've got it covered? I mean, you've you pretty much covered all the bases, I think. It's, it's, it's essentially a rogue. It has some differences. The, we've covered all of those, and if you like the rogue, but for some reason don't want to buy the rogue, well, you can buy the Outlander. <laughs> exactly. I think that's the most difficult discussion to have, right? Like, you'd have, you'd have, but maybe having this 
Like, what happens if Nissan knows that the Rogue is popular and somebody goes in and they're like, oh, sorry, we can't get you your Rogue right now. You'll have to pay. No, they're never going to send you to a Mitsubishi dealership. That's, <laughs> that's not how commissions work, Sammy. No, somebody can go like, well, if you don't sell me this Rogue, I'll go to the Mitsubishi outlander. What, you're threatening a used car salesman now or a new car salesman? Uh, yeah. That's All right. right. Well, good luck with that. Those people live on the edge, my friend. <laughs> that's true. Um, okay, so that's that's all I want to talk about with the Outlander, but I think you need to talk to me about whatever car you've been driving. I'm, I'm not telling you to, but I would love to hear what you've been driving. So I've been driving another Genesis, Sammy, and this oh, time it's... Man! The, it's, Hold on. Is it the, wait, is it the G90, the one that you've been trying to get into? Uh, the like G90 is years? a vehicle that I'm destined to never drive. It's just, it's, I don't even bother trying to book it now because I'm worried I'll trigger some kind of cataclysm that will, like, prevent... Like, at the last minute, they'll be like, well, there was a sinkhole that swallowed up the entire fleet lot, and I'll be like, Oh, that's my fault because I booked the car. Uh, Every time you try to book a G90, I'm so sorry. Okay, so what did you out. get? I, I got the G80, Sammy, which is almost the G90. Uh, almost there. But more importantly, it's completely redesigned for this year, and it's the first time we're seeing a luxury sedan uh, from a luxury, a mid-sized luxury sedan from Genesis that doesn't relate to anything they've done before. So we've had a G80 in the past. We had before that we had just the Genesis, which is kind of the, the lineage of this car. Hmm. And I can tell you that this feels very little like any of the vehicles that have come before it. Vehicles that I liked, but this is clearly something that is so focused, uh, so well-styled, and aimed directly at the Germans. Uh, I won't go into crazy detail about this car because we recently talked about the GV80, which is the SUV version of this same platform, right? Yeah. And you've driven the G80, Sammy. Yep. And you liked it? Um, I'm a little bit harsher on the G80 because of it being a sports sedan in comparison to the GV80, whose whose mission is to not be sporty in any way. Okay, you know I, mean? I, I don't think this is a sports sedan. I think it's an executive sedan. I don't mm-hmm. think that they're going after the 5 Series in terms of driving feel. Okay. Uh, I, I Because I agree with you that this is a car that is at its best when enjoyed on a long road trip, which I did with the vehicle. Uh, or just driving around town. It's it's comfortable. Um, the back seat in this car is incredible. It's better than the GV80's back seat, in my opinion, which is surprising to me. There's so much room. There's really nice details in the leather, in the, the door panels. The, even the fold-down um, armrest at the back of the car is extremely well done. Uh, it's It's a car that I think you're just at peace driving. And I'm really impressed with that. I need to talk to you about. We need to talk about this rear seat experience because you can in the second row of the GV80, you can get like captain seats or whatever you want to call them, bucket yeah. seats. It, they and feel you, like you that. Would prefer, you would prefer that bench style, but they like, feel limo they, experience. It feels like almost buckets in the back of the G80. So it's it's. I don't. They're really deeply set and comfortable, and there's just so much leg room. Uh, mm-hmm. Even sitting beside behind myself, like you know, there's no real problems with stretching out um it, it, the car has the same in terms of faults it's got the same infotainment system that i wasn't crazy about with the gv80 mm-hmm. with the fussy dial that's set into the center console i don't want to go into too much detail about that because we kind of really beat that to death the last time uh yeah, it has an ipod click wheel that's what it has yeah it's weird but like a concave one you know but uh, the other thing that's a little strange about the infotainment that we didn't discuss last time is that it comes with these sounds of nature programmed in uh 
Oh man, every Kia and Hyundai and I guess Genesis now has these things. Yeah, and we've so, talked about them in the past a little bit, but man, is it annoying because normally it, I get in a car, I I pair my phone and I listen to music over Bluetooth. But if you choose a lot of the time, if you choose a different media source in a, in a car that has this feature, it starts default playing some random sound like forest sounds or like people walking in the snow. That one or, of people walking in the snow just sounds like people. Fall. It's just, it's unnecessary. I I kind of understand why they put it in, but at the same time, I don't think it executes as well as they think it think it would. And uh, what's the other one? There's one of a cafe or something? That's yeah, there's a cafe loud that's like, noise. exactly, it's like and white people noise. people clanking dishes and, and exactly. cutlery together, and I can't imagine something less like premium than that, right? It's you know just, what I could go for right now? I am so relaxed, man. You know what I can go for? Jet takeoff. <laughs> Hit me with that jet takeoff. I'm standing just to the left of the jet where I've yeah. always wanted to be. Or it's like Wayne's World when they park at the end of the runway. But, <laughs> it's uh, like they couldn't – is there like a Black Friday, uh, Black Friday uh, rush at Walmart? Do you have a, do you have a soundscape of that one? Like... <laughs> uh, it, so other than that though, I mean this is a very well-executed car. I, I The engine's great. 375 horsepower, 391 pound-feet of torque. Um, you can get a turbo four cylinder in it as well if you want, mm-hmm. but it's smooth. Power is good. I, the transmission seemed smoother as well compared to the SUV. I didn't have any clunkiness whatsoever. Uh, it was extremely just a great road trip companion. You know, I put like 300 kilometers on it in, in a day and that's, that's about 200 miles, I guess, something mm-hmm. like that. And it was the, the, the perfect choice. And what was interesting was. At one point, my partner was driving it, and she was behind me. And in my rearview mirror, I would see people come up to the side of the v- of the Genesis and like do double takes, like both driver and passenger, and then drop back to look at it, and then pull up again to look at it. And I was really surprised by how much attra- attention the vehicle attracted. And I know it's partly because you don't see very many of them. Like they sold more GV80s last month than the G70, G80, and G90 sedans combined. So it's it's in the last month or like the entirety of the in the, in the last month. Okay. So it's it's not it's not a huge volume seller because people are not buying sedans right now. But the the front end with its big grill really works. The, the, we, I talked before about the lighting along the sides of the GV80, and you see that in the G80 sedan as well. It's just it's it's a really cool car, and it's amazing in the sense that it's such a new product and it does everything so well already. It, it's it's incredible to think of what this product could become in the second generation, or I guess this is the this second is the, generation. Yeah, I think that's the that's the coolest thing is to witness how quickly um, Genesis kind of like acts on on what they want. I guess right, like the the old GV80 was not bad. I found it to be a very good alternative. Um, G80, to, say, G80, you mean? The sorry, old G- the yeah. old G80 was um, a pretty good alternative to some yes. of those other executive sedans. I agree. And for a good price, but now they can probably command the same price as the as the competition. Oh yeah, and they're also offering so much more equipment. Yeah, weird stuff like uh, the 3D gauge cluster that's totally a gimmick, or or what was the other one that they have? The AI or 
whatever you want to call it, the the cruise control that adjusts to your driving style. Yeah, I, I do want to talk about that. Thanks for bringing that up because I had a problem, again, with the car thinking I wasn't looking at the road when I was not only looking at the road but holding on to the steering wheel. Ben, <laughs> could you just look at the road and hold on to the steering wheel? You must have felt crazy. It's weird. <laughs> it's like being scolded for something you didn't do is the worst feeling in the world. And then being repeatedly scolded for it in an, in an enclosed environment no less is is maddening i don't get why it does it i don't understand how what it's tracking specifically uh to try and figure out maybe it's my lazy eye i don't know what's happening but the g87 your lazy eye and your in in your ghost hands like what my my cold as ice ghost hands But the Genesis, yeah, the camera is facing at the facing the wrong person. You have too many mirrors. You have a little mirror apparatus. What they need on. is a rear seat radar that's focusing <laughs> yeah. on what areas of my brain are being, but synapses are firing when I'm like to detect whether I'm actually processing the road ahead. Uh, but that was a little strange. The, the cruise control worked well, although like as with all cruise controls, I had a situation where I was I use it a lot when I'm stuck in traffic, slow traffic. Right. And this is problematic because in these situations, people are always trying to cut in front of you to change lanes. And adaptive cruise control leaves a big enough gap for them to try that, like to try their luck. So these cars, it's not just a Genesis thing. I've noticed it on BMWs as well. But if a car is sliding in from the side, the car, your adaptive cruise will not always detect it. Yeah. And you'll have to slam the brakes on yourself. So you have to keep paying attention, which is, you know, you should be anyway. But that's something to keep in mind if you're ever using one of these systems in traffic. Like, it is not – side detection is not perfect. Um, I'm, I'm, I want to talk a little bit about that design again. Um, people t- take a good look at this thing. Um, do you think Genesis is on the right, you know, the right – direction with its design these two lines on the front and the back and the side yeah i think it look, i think it's great i think it's unique i mean whether you think it looks good or not mm-hmm. i th- is probably personal taste but what's most important for me is that they're not trying to mimic anyone else on the market and mm-hmm. like the car has like a fastbackish look even though it's not a hatch but it would be a real stretch to say it's derivative of either a mercedes or an audi fastback so right. You throw in additional details like the lighting and the, the straking on the front fenders, and you really have something that forms its own visual personality, and I think that really works in the G80 or any Genesis's favor. And then finally, you talked about the rear seat and the, the comfort level. What about the materials? Does this feel like a car that can that can keep up with the Germans and the fancy equipment? It, it, that it really does. Uh, I mean, I, I want to go so far into, as to even discuss, I don't know, like a Panamera or something. Uh, I haven't been in a Panamera in quite a while. Thanks for reminding me of that, Sammy. So I, I can't really speak as to the current state of Panamera. Is it, is it cursed the same way as the G90? No, I maybe in a different way. But ah. uh, it's it's just I think that it is the interior materials are definitely competitive, if not superior cool. in some ways. Very cool. There are a few uh, things like maybe. It's hard. Switch gear is such a hard thing to talk about. Like, oh, Benjamin doesn't like the font on the switch gear. Who cares, right? Okay. So I'm, I'm going to say competitive. I, I'm going to say one of the most interesting things about it is when you're taking a look at the switch gear and you're feeling around. 
it doesn't feel like a Kia or a Hyundai, right? No, it doesn't. And uh, I, I like how they've got kind of like rollers for the tuning of the stereo and the volume at the top of the center console if you don't want to use what's on the steering wheel. Like, there is some doubling what? of functionality. You're into that? Sorry, let me just go back because we'll just we'll re- rewind to the Volvo. No, we're not talking about the weird the chrome block. Log. I'm, because these Genesis have, I think, rollers on... Tiny on rollers the- that don't require a press or like a weird texture to them don't try to put words in my mouth man. <laughs> i think it is almost the same thing it's two, no it, there's two of them they're I, much I... smaller and they're okay. appropriately placed and they do a function i can understand <laughs> the log rolling function but I, you one last thing i want to talk about the genesis you briefly mentioned pricing so it's important to talk about that with this car you can get one of these for under 50 grand if you want the four-cylinder one it's like 48 725 no that's, one with, that's with that's with that's I don't want the four-cylinder one. Okay, well, if you want the most expensive one, destination one. destination included, it's still sixty-eight grand. Aha! So they, in between, a there's a lot of room, you know. So there's a lot. And this is my model had all-wheel drive, which is also important to to keep in mind. But uh, Genesis has a good spread going on. It, within that twenty thousand um, dollar gap. You can find a car that will work in your budget if you're shopping for luxury. And it's important to remember that I think you could pay like another ten grand for a 5 Series if you wanted to. Uh, it, it, I know at that point you're probably getting into like a Turbo V8 version, which is the 550, which is much faster. But this car still does 0 to 60 in 5 seconds. So how fast do you really want to go in your midsize executive car, right? Yeah. I think the other thing you, you I want to to ask you is you know you've come off a little streak of driving some lexus models that may not sound or look that much more impressive on paper but felt the part to you now now the genesis in terms of feel in terms of that like luxury or that premium or that what's the best word that like low blood pressure kind of feel that the lexus provide can the genesis do that i think the genesis surpasses it i think the atmosphere provided by genesis is much more luxurious than than lexus Nailed. Uh, then, okay. then the Lexus vehicles at the same price point, I should say. Okay. And I agree with you. I think that Genesis has surpassed the Japanese competition right now. There isn't one um, no, that not. I think keeps up with it. Uh, yeah. So I was uh, going to say like the LS and the LC. But no. Those are... No, I would have to say no. Although I haven't driven the G90. I just The L, LS, LS is a vehicle that has tried really hard to be sportier than it needs to be. And I think that has, you know had a negative impact on the overall package. The LC doesn't have a Genesis equivalent yet, although they do have a really cool electric coupe that they've been teasing us with, so we'll see there. But there's one thing, uh, it's funny you mentioned Lexus. There's something we want, you you brought up before the show, some information you discovered about the IS300 that I drove last week. It, for people who maybe haven't heard the episode, Sammy had a, a bit of a conniption fit about the fact that I was into this IS300 because I drove the all-wheel drive model, which is a version of the car. It doesn't have the turbo four of the base car. It doesn't have the powerful V6 of the top line IS350. It has a detuned V6, which Sammy took personal offense to. And you discovered something this week that kind of maybe changes your opinion about that car, Sammy? Yeah, actually, it changes it quite a bit. Now, I still stand by. I I don't think people should get the IS300. However, if you are... Uh, if you are uh, accepting of the aftermarket community, I found out that the the um, I went to a thread on on Club Lexus who, who pointed out that the uh, like I guess the earlier IS three hundred and IS three fifty dynoed the two of them and found that the price the power difference between the two cars at stock 
was much smaller than the 50 horsepower that is indicated on the spec sheet. It's much closer to, I think, 28 or 30 horsepower. And then with just a tune, no extra equipment, but just a tune, could bring the IS-300 up to the same power levels as the IS-350 for about 500 bucks, I suppose. So that's the V6 you're talking about. That is the V6. And they are saying, these, these tuners are saying... Hardware-wise, the two car, the two engines are identical. That the only difference is on in terms of software, where it's torque limited after I think forty-two hundred RPM or something like that, and that's where you feel that like the car not feel it. To me, that's where you feel the car doesn't like measure up. And now you can get past that with just a simple tune, which I think really does change things um, for a buyer of these IS three hundreds that you could essentially get an IS three fifty for a fraction of the cost. Well, so uh, you heard it here first. Sammy has changed his mind about the Lexus <laughs> IS300 and is, in fact, filling out an order sheet as we speak. <laughs> ah, thanks, Ben. Yeah, sure. Um, I also wanted to talk about some news. Do you mind if I get into this, or, or do you want to follow up this electric car talk any, anyway? No, I, I'm, I'm ready to talk about news. Okay. There's a new... Uh, 2001 Ford Explorer trim level coming along. It's called the Enthusiast ST, which is going to be $4,000 cheaper than the regular ST. Wait a minute, $4,000? So, so what's, are they decontenting the truck to make it cheaper? Like, what's the deal? Is it just like a less luxurious Ford Explorer that now you can take to the racetrack because it has no interior or something? (laughs) It doesn't go that far. But I believe, yeah, you don't get the same... Um, you don't get the power side mirrors, you don't get the heated bucket seats in the second row, and you don't get the 12-speaker Bang & Olufsen sound system. Which, by the way, in like every car, the B&O, those B&O sound systems are usually like an ex- extraordinary amount of money that's unnecessary. And so what's the point of this vehicle, Sammy? <laughs> the point is you wanted a three-row crossover only for you, the driver, to enjoy. That's yeah, it. so everyone else, it's like, this is the least comfortable vehicle for anyone other than the person in the left front seat. That's just weird. It's just wild to me. Like, I understand releasing a version of this car for, like, a true performance vehicle, but for a vehicle that is ostensibly about uh, practicality with a performance bonus, it just seems strange. I don't get it either. So I thought that was a really funny um a funny piece of news that I saw uh, pop out on, on the news cycle. There is something I wanted to talk about, uh, too, that's uh, unrelated to news, but related to the show. We had a listener, uh, Carter, get in touch with us this week. And they asked if we would be willing to talk about the vehicles that we own ourselves um, and our plans for them in the future. And also maybe talk about our dream cars. And Sammy and I talked about doing this as a bonus episode at some point in the near future. So look forward to that coming down. And thanks, Carter, for the suggestion. That's a really good one. And I think something that would be interesting to talk about. If you have a suggestion for the show, or if you want to get in touch, or you want to let us know what you think about all of our dumb opinions, I mean, smart opinions, you can reach out to us very easily by um, coming to our website, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. Once you're there, there's a little contact form. You fill that out, and it lands in our inbox. And we usually respond to you guys, or we'll give you a nice shout-out on the, on the next episode. Additionally, you can reach out to us on social media. You can find Benjamin on Instagram. He's at huntingbenjamin. And you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Sammy underscore ha, ha, like you're laughing. And on unnamedautomotivepodcast.com, you can subscribe to us. You can find us on any uh, podcast site pretty much. 
shout out to all the people who are coming to us from Amazon now. Uh, you can find us on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, every CastBox. We're, we are everywhere. So either search for us in your favorite podcatcher or unnamedautomotivepodcast.com has our full archive of everything we've ever done as well as the ability to subscribe directly from that site. Uh, Sammy, what are you going to be driving next week? What are you going to be talking about next week? Uh, ben, I have a... Uh... I have a new Rolls-Royce ghost to talk about next week. Wow, okay, so it's going to be a super spooky episode. <laughs> yeah, you know how much we love talking ghosts. Well, I see your ghost, Sammy, and I raise you with the Ram 1500 TRX. Whoa, okay, I see where we're going here. It's a real battle of the horsepower, I guess. Uh, although, remember when Rolls-Royce used to just list sufficient whenever people asked what their horsepower was? They had that 6 Seven eight liter V eight or six point seven five liter V eight. I think that was yeah, the rating that came with it. And three quarter liter. <laughs> yep, very specific. Anyway, so I can't wait to talk to you about that next week. Uh, be sure to come to check in with our uh, with all of the ghost and dinosaur puns that we have next week. Yeah. All right, and uh, talk to you then. Take it easy. <laughs>